Welcome to the Space for Magic podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to receiving all the gifts the universe has for us. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive coach. Using a blend of common sense, brain science, and just a dash of magic, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Space for Magic podcast. I have a special guest for you today. This is a man I met through my publisher. We have our publisher in common, but how I found him was actually because I was listening to my publisher Azul's podcast. I came across Gary O'Valley's interview and I was so impressed with what he was doing in this time, in this space and time that I wanted to have him on the podcast. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about who Gary is. He's a successful entrepreneur, social activist, and dedicated to family. Gary has strived to heal and strengthen Black and brown communities for almost 25 years. His new book, Unjustified, is out where he provides insights so that many more are able to find their own success for themselves, their families, and their communities. He encourages people to say less and do more because conversation is good, but action is gold. Gary, welcome. Thank you so much, Patty. Such a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I don't know if you said this specifically on the interview, the way I'm about to phrase it, but this was the, this was the note I took while I'm walking on in the morning, I'm listening to you. And I wrote this in my little note app on my phone. You don't change just by doing stuff. You have to have internal reflection. So I might be um, quoting you improperly, but that was the essence of what you had to say. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's so true, right? Like it, change doesn't happen by happenstance. It doesn't happen because we wish and hope. It happens because we are willing to intentionally work on things that we know need working on. And that that only really happens when we're willing to go internal to create the change within that we need. So this way we can start to see the external results in the world we live in. The internal change, that's probably the most difficult portion that all of us face, right? That's the one mirror that nobody wants to look in. Nobody wants to look at themselves. Nobody wants to call themselves out for what they're doing right, wrong, and indifferent. And the reality is we create everything in our life, all things good, all things bad, all things different. We call it and we have the ability to shape it and shift it and affect it. And when we go internal to think about these things, that's when we get to those points in our life where we can start to make the greatest change for ourselves. Mm. Now, where did you learn that? You know, or where did you decide that on your personal development path? Because you've been doing this for so many years. Mm. Yeah, so so true. I think like most people, I learned it the hard way, right? <laughs> we, we go through life and we do what we're told and we live our life with all of these limiting beliefs. And we keep running into struggle. And somewhere in my, I mean, I, I, I kind of started early, right? My wife and I, we, we met in college. We decided to get married early. We decided to have our children early. So all of these things happened early on to me. So I'm in my 20s, probably middle 20s or something like, right? And I'm starting to realize these things because I'm running face first into a lot of these difficulties. Like, why am I having so much trouble here? Why do I keep running into the same problem? And I realized it's because I was creating that unintentionally, but I was still creating it. 
And I had to step into that space and I had to recognize as a young person, hey, I need to do something different here. I'm going to keep repeating the same problem and I'm going to keep coming back to the same point to learn the same lesson. At some point, I'm going to have to learn it. So might as well be now. So I know you're a big proponent of people stepping forward into their leadership, not just for themselves, but so that this younger generation has someone to look to that shows them what's possible for them. And as you were in your 20s, was there a person or people that helped you get there? I mean, I I was much older than you were by the time I figured some of this stuff out. And it required me like hitting my head against the wall a lot and then finding a few authors that kind of opened my eyes to what was possible outside of the way things, the way I was doing things. Yeah, I completely understand that, right? Because like I said earlier, the limiting beliefs, the things that we're, that we're brought up with, we tend to hold on to like it's ours <laughs> and we hold on to it like it's our problem. And it's not until we really start to reflect on it that we realize we're holding someone else's bag. For most of us, I think that's our experience. Fortunately for me, you know, like I said, in my 20s is when I really started to turn it up and kind of move myself and optimize my life as, in, in as many ways as I possibly could. But for me, that, that level of leadership, that idea of giving back to your community, of doing for others, that was something that was instilled in me as a child. So I was very fortunate to watch someone who loved their family and community enough to affect change in them. And that was my mother. My mother was a community activist. And this little tiny lady had the ability to transform and create change for everyone in the community. And she started to get recognized and she started to create the change that we needed and to make our lives better, not just hers, not just for her family and her children, but for everyone. And it was in that moment that I realized each one of us is capable of doing that. And two, you don't have to be the biggest person or the biggest voice in the room. You can create change that will be dynamic and will help others. And it's in that space as a child that I saw these things and I, I just continued to implement them as I got older. So through high school, I kept doing it, a lot of success through college. You know, it, once I got married and into my, my early entrepreneurship, I just kept doing that. And those things just, it absolutely changed my world, which had the ability to change so many others as well. Now I'm curious, do you think the fact that it was your mother versus your father that you saw as this mentor in social activism, that that made a difference to you? Absolutely. The short answer is absolutely. Being able to see a woman step up into that space and be successful and command respect and kind of run the show. To see that as a young person, I was just one amazed, right? Like, wow, mom's amazing and that's amazing. And then as I got older, I started to recognize the world that I was, you know, entering. And I recognized exactly how sexist and racist and biased and how much bigotry existed and how unfairly women were treated in our society. And I realized in that moment, not only do I have to step up and be a leader, but I have to do better when I get to positions where I have the ability to create change for others in that regard. I want to make sure that I am stepping up into the space and providing safe spaces for women and children. And in seeing that, I really started to recognize, one, exactly how important and powerful women can be. 
and two, exactly how unfair the world is to them. And for me, I took it on as a personal responsibility. And I saw that I have the ability to step in this space, to speak in this regard, and to change that dynamic, at the very least in my space with my children and anyone I come in contact with. And that's what I've done up until this point. So you're doing this work in the world. It's not that, you know, your book on Justified was the start of you doing this work. It was just really creating a bigger platform if I'm understanding your story properly. That's absolutely right. So what was it that said, you know, it's time for you to write a book? Because when I listened to you on Azul's podcast, and for those of you listening, I'll put a link to that interview as well, because it was fabulous. I remember you talking about the book was inside of you, but it just never was something that felt like you had to do it right now. So what changed? I really appreciate that question, Patty. Like obviously so much, right? We, we, we are all in a space where we are older, we are professionals, many of us have children, some of us have grandchildren. We are moving into a space where our life is always in flux. And for me, I just, I don't know, I just, I, I recognized early that these things were always important to me. But timing is really the most important. And as I was young, as much as I wanted to share this book, as much as I wanted to write it, I realized I had to figure out how to navigate marriage and I had to figure out how to navigate children and entrepreneurship. And there were already so many things on my plate that I really re- that I, I knew in those moments, those were much more important than any book I was going to write for sure, right? Building a strong marriage, raising a strong family. Those things were utmost importance to me. So I had to make sure that was under control first in my life. Once I got my children to the point where they graduated high school, they were graduating college. And at this point, both of my children have now graduated college. I just started to recognize as they were entering the college space, I now have time and energy. And it's coming back to me because I no longer have to run around after my children, right? I don't have to bring them to dates and uh, events and sporting programs and things of that nature. So at that point, let me sit down and take a breath and just kind of enjoy this moment in my life. And as I did so, I immediately recognized, again, on reflection, I had a wonderful journey, just an incredible journey. It wasn't easy. It wasn't simple, but it was wonderful and beautiful. And I had a lot of success both personally and professionally. Why aren't more people experiencing that in their life? And that was the question I asked myself. And then it was, well, what can I do to help them get there? And that started me on the process of designing programs that would help people get to that point. And then also let me share that book that I've been thinking about for years, that have been on my mind for years. Let me share that information because that also will have the ability to help the same people that I'm pursuing and looking to help heal black and brown communities, that conversation is going to help them as well. And at that point, I sat down, I penned the book, and Azul helped me publish. Mm, So good. So, oh my goodness, so many questions popping into my mind. All right, I'm going to go to the one that's right at the forefront. So as you're looking to set this book of wisdom or teaching or put this information in front of people to really motivate, would you say, or is it to inspire black and brown leaders to step forward? Yeah. So the book itself is, 
it's really to open the dialogue and the conversation of self-reflection and accountability within the black and brown community. And in doing so, when, when we face our fears and we hold ourselves accountable, we become the best possible version of ourselves. And that naturally transforms into leadership and it naturally transforms into better outcomes for ourselves and, and our communities. The book itself is designed to first, let's start those conversations and be honest about them. Even the ones that we don't want to have publicly, the ones that we don't want to be shamed for or used against us. Let's have those conversations as well. And in doing so, we're going to get to the point where we can address some of the things that have hurt us. We can address some of the th- the ways in which we hurt ourselves, and then we can design better outcomes. So this way we can get past that because ultimately that's the point. We all suffer, right? Life is not easy, but we have the ability to make it better. And that's only through intention. And this book really starts to drive those conversations for parents to have with their young children. Because if we're not having these conversations early on, it's just too late. Right. They get on in life. They start to do what they do. And nobody really thinks about these things and giving back to community and making things better until they've already had a career. And then they start thinking about them. And by then it's not bad, but it's much better if they were stepping out on the right foot right from the beginning. So when we have these conversations early, we get to allow our children to be the best that they can possibly be, as well as successfully navigating the world that they're about to enter. Oh my goodness. So many more questions. Okay. So (laughs) then do you believe that it's, this is maybe a bit of a chicken and egg question, but it's coming up in my household. So my daughter is just leaving middle school, going into high school and she's, she's got an activist heart. She just is fierce in her belief that things can be better and that we should all be doing our part. And we've been talking about what she wants to be when she grows up. And this is not a question I'm instigating because I really believe that kids need a little time to figure that out. It's something she's been talking about. And she said, I think whatever I'm going to do, it's going to be at the primary education level because what I've seen, and now this is of her full 13 years, she said, (laughs) it doesn't matter what you do at home. If the culture isn't at school, then it doesn't matter because ultimately you're going to do what your friends do. Mm -hmm. And so my question to you, so that's where this question is coming from is, do you, as you look at your work and the work of Unjustified, do you think the greatest benefit is that leaders step forward and so that there's change or that young people, when they're children, when they're true children and they're small, when they're looking around them, they're seeing what you saw as a child as opposed to maybe something that isn't as functional? Yeah. So that's the question and it is so difficult and it really has eluded us as a society for so long, even even, even up till now, even though I absolutely acknowledge that the young people today are so amazing. Like I am so impressed with how they were galvanized. They are like a whole different breed. They really are. Yes. And I totally love it. And I absolutely love it. I'm so, so impressed with that. And when I, when, so when I think about what it is you're saying and what it is you're asking and implying, the real answer is it's, it's twofold, right? It's very much the same campaign that I have created 
in which I continue to give back and help. And so my campaign is called Grow Forward and Give Back. So I continue to grow forward really successfully and I help others continue to do that in their lives. And at the same time, I recommend that they give back as often as they can to those who don't have and to those who are younger than them on the way up. What happens is we create a dynamic by addressing both of those problems. So the leaders that are currently existing, what are they doing? Where are they? And the young people who are about to enter this space, they are the bookends around this problem. And if we are able to instill the best and the brightest early on and have them grow into the space of the problem, as well as speaking to and encouraging those people who are already here to do more, grow forward, give back, create solutions, not just for yourself, but for others, we will start to see those two dynamics converge and minimize and reduce. And what we're hoping to do is eliminate these problems because there are so many that we face. And when we tackle it that way, it becomes much more realistic. It also allows us to recognize we have to stop putting band-aids on the back-end solutions of things. And that's what we see today. Oftentimes when people start to address and come up with solutions, there'll be a back-end solution at the end of the line after the problem already exists in front of us. Hey, let's do something about it. As opposed to front-end solutions, which is what we require. Let's do something before the problem arises. Let's do something completely surrounding the problem and then crush it into non-existence. This is the space that allows us to come to solution and resolution. And that's where we have to spend more time. So we have to encourage the existing leaders to do better and empower our younger leaders to step into that pace, into that space and be totally unapologetic. And I know you talk about you know, the wounds that we inherit. So how do you heal generational wounds that are inflicted on you? You're a child coming into this world and you're inheriting these generational wounds. What can be done? Yeah. So that's probably the greatest problem for all of us, right? And that's not color yeah. bound. That's, just, that's no. all of us. Yeah. What has to be done and, and I say this all the time, and I don't say it lightly because I know exactly how difficult it is and I know how important it is. It all sits on the shoulders of the parent and the adults in the life of the child. They have to create the space where they are creating the best and the brightest. They have to recognize the limiting beliefs that they have brought into this, that they continue to bring into the world, and they have to stop themselves from sharing it or putting it on to the young child. We have to be better at what we teach our children. We have to, we have to do better. We have to be better. We have to say better. We need to be the example. So when they look up, they know exactly how they should be what they should be saying, how they should be behaving, how they should be acting, what they should be doing in society, how they should be giving back, being a good steward of your language, your words, your community, your space, the world that we live in. That's the example that children need to overcome these things. It always starts at home. I loved that your daughter recognized that, hey, kids are going to school and they're going to do what their friends say. And that's so true. But before that, they are home. And we have the ability to groom them in their most formative years, in their most crucial years. And if we do an outstanding job, I don't mean okay. I don't mean, yeah, my kid goes to school and he passes grades. I mean an outstanding human being right from day one. We will start to recognize as they get older, they're going to continue 
to make good choices. They're going to continue to be lifelines for their community as they grow older. And that's how we heal ourselves. And that's how we start to heal the generational wounds. Ultimately, it's always a personal decision. We have to personally decide to be better than we are today. Be better than the child or the person that our parents raised because that was just the best they knew. We go through our life and we learn more and we learn better. And it's our duty to apply that. And that's the, you know, that's the curse of knowing, right? The curse of knowing is doing. (laughs) If you know something, now you got to do something about it. So for us, let us get into that space and let's walk into that without resistance. This is where we get to the point where I create the change in my life. It automatically affects my children. And if I do it well, and I instill it and drive it in them, they will share that with their children. And just like that, I have created three generations of change in my life, in my space, and that's how profoundly effective and powerful we all can be. Mm, That's beautiful. The question I get so often in the work I do is, when I'm talking to people about how do you let in more help from the divine? How do you make space for miracles? And then starting to see how wounds of rejecting parts of ourselves create resistance. The conversation eventually goes to, okay, how do I fix this in my kid? How do I fix this in my child? Especially when the children are more like older teens and adults. And the answer I always have is there is nothing you can do other than fixing it inside yourself. It's when you Mm -hmm. clear it in you, you pass it through the generations. So do you believe that even if you're further along, even if your children are adults and they're out in the world and you start addressing and doing the work you're talking about, Gary, do you personally believe that it can still pass down through those generations? Yeah, 100%. You know, at the, at the end of the day, and it's one of the things that I realized because I was able to travel early in my life. So I consider myself to be a world citizen, you know, and not just a citizen of the United States. When we are doing well and we are sharing with the world, it's not just our children and our family that benefits. The entire world will benefit. When I give back to my communities and I am mentoring and tutoring young people, it's not just my child in that group that's going to do well. It's all of the children that are listening to all of the words that I'm sharing with them. We have the ability at any moment to change our dynamic at any time, but we have to do that hard work and we have to be willing to go inside and make that happen. And when we, when we step into that space, that's where we become our greatest self and we can now give to others in that capacity. When we are not healed and we are broken or damaged or hurting, it's very difficult for us to share anything with anyone. But when we are coming from a place of healthiness and wellness and healing and love, and we've established that and we step into that, we have the ability to open our heart and share and touch the hearts of others. So we absolutely can create that change at any moment in time. It doesn't matter whether we are 10, 20, 100 years old. makes no difference. At any point in time, that change can be made. And it always, just like you mentioned, starts with us. Mm. And I love, just like I said, I love that your daughter recognized, you know, hey, there's this dynamic that happens at school and she's right. And we have to be aware of that. So for me, 
I made sure I taught my children well at home. I send them to school. And then when they come back from school, we probably spent about an hour each day unlearning much of what they learned in school because I need to make sure that they're not taking that and running with it as if it's okay. Mm -hmm. Again, it falls back to the parent to do these things or the adult in the child's life to let them see the things that they're not aware of. You used a term earlier, colorbound, and I love that because even when I was listening to your interview with Azul, but now talking to you, everything you said is not limited by color at all. This applies That's to right. humans. That's right. But there is color at play, especially in the U.S. I mean, I, I know it's in other countries, but I really only have a real experience of it here in the States. And I'm curious, as someone who is speaking to black and brown leaders, but you're talking to me right now and I'm a, not a white woman. Oh, I am by demographic a Karen, although I try not to act like one. <laughs> what role do you think plays across color when it comes to providing opportunities of leadership, when it comes to you know, hey, you step up to the plate. And I know that's not how you're speaking to people, but <laughs> when you're in the trenches doing the work to make space for black and brown leaders to emerge, what role do you want to see? You know, I'm just going to say white middle-class women playing in that because I mean, it could be anyone, but that I'll just speak for myself. Yeah, no, I, I, I so appreciate that question because that lies right at the intersection of where we have the ability to grow together or continue to grow separately, right? We are in this thing together. And by this thing, I mean this world, right? Like we all get a journey and we all get one. And if we're lucky, we'll get two. But we're here and we're running through this life and we can't do it by ourselves. It's just not possible. And at no point in time, as you look through history, right? Uh, the history just here in the United States, for example, at no point in time did we ever see any dynamic change, revolutionary change happen without all of us pushing the change. Every one of us, every color, every demographic, all of us have to get behind that which is best for us, that which serves us. And in that sense, when I think about change and the dynamic change and the things that have to be done for us to kind of get to uh, an, an equal playing field in this country. I think of women first, and I don't even break them up by color at all, because I know that women are the answer and they are the solution to all things. Women will heal this planet because they have given birth to it. And when I recognize that, I recognize exactly how powerful women are in our well-being and our growth and our ability to survive and thrive as human beings, not just society, but as really good, decent human beings. Women are so important for that dynamic to happen. So when I think about the role that people have to play, I love the trajectory of things as they're moving now, this era of accountability that we are entering, right? I love the era of women that we are entering right now. I think that is going to naturally lead to the betterment of a lot of the problems we face. So that will happen as a natural dynamic because women love the world in a totally different way than men do. And it's because 
like I said earlier, they have given birth to it. When I think about white people now as a whole on the problem of racism and bias and bigotry in this country, here is where we just have to stop feeding in to the separating lines and the dividing lines that we are fed. Again, limiting beliefs that we are given. These are not things we're born with. We're taught these things. And the same way we're taught them, well, that means we can unteach them. And if we can do that in our families, and that's where it starts again, it goes right back to the family. Individually, racism doesn't just exist in the world. It exists in our home first, and then it gets shared and spread and acted out in the world. So if we are nipping that in the bud at home, we'll start to see that dynamic play out through the lives of our children. And that's the space that we really have to be more responsible in being. So when I talk to parents, it's really, hey, let's do better at home. Let's stop the racism or the bias and the bigotry that happens at our dinner table, in our churches, in our family get togethers. Let's stop that first. Now let's move on into the professional realm. And let's start to talk about, you know, that DEI space, that diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are moving towards a place where everyone is looking for equity, and especially this younger generation. And they have already established that they are not interested in working with or for individuals who want to maintain these dividing lines and separating lines. So I feel as though it's a natural dynamic that's coming to a close and continues to close, right, shorten and shrink that gap. But white people as a whole have the ability to get in that space and nip it in the bud right then and there. When we talk about racism, it's a thing from white cultures towards black and brown cultures. Well, if it gets nipped in those white cultures, right, like you can only clean your home. I can't clean it for you. So when we think of those spaces, that's where you can step in and do the most. And professionally, you can start hiring differently. You can start putting people of color in positions of power differently. We know that the dynamic, you know, economically, the ability to create revenue, those companies, those businesses that have really implemented a diverse workforce, they tend to do better. They grow better. Their employees stick around longer. They create more revenue. Their ideas are more powerful and more broad and more expansive because you just have this convergence of so many different ideas and so many different abilities. We have to embrace that and we just have to continue to talk about it. As we're talking about it now, it grows better when we separate and go into our lives because we're going to implement it in our lives. And this is how it happens. So good. Thank you, Gary. (laughs) There's this term that you used in the interview. Again, I'm going to reference where you said that the term was ghetto lottery and the uh, Mm -hmm. context was that young black and brown men, and I believe it was men you were mostly focused on, are just shown this very narrow pathway of Mm -hmm. success and that, you know, they need more experiences of what success can look like. That was so fascinating to me because as you were talking about it, I found the exact same thing with my son and his friends that when they were young, that was what they talked about. And they're not necessarily, you know, we were certainly middle class. They were going to a school. They had, you know, parents ushering them through the system. They had financial security. They had food security. And this kid was, you know, my son's white and his friends primarily were white and they still saw you know, my son used to talk about Michael Jordan and that being a basketball player would be his path to success. So I'm 
curious what your thoughts are on that. Is that, is media really making it, you know, is this inherent in our culture? Is it media that's feeding it? Anyway, I'll leave it there. I think maybe you're going to find a question in there, even though I didn't state it very clearly. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. And I totally, I totally, I totally understand exactly where, where you're going with the conversation. And you're right. This thing, just like we mentioned earlier, it's not color bound. Although obviously I, I wrote this book specifically to talk to people inside of the black and brown communities. But in reality, these concepts, these conversations, they affect all of us. And it may not be an even, right? Uh, an even effect, but it does affect all of us. And in certain communities, it is on par. And what we want to recognize first and foremost, let's define ghetto lotteries this way everybody knows what, what it is we're talking about. Ghetto lottery is one of the chapters in my book, the first chapter. And it describes the concept of giving our children to entertainment and sport in hopes that they will become one of the rich and famous and one of the chosen few and escape their poverty or the poverty that they live near. And Ultimately, that's a dynamic that we see play out in all impoverished communities, white, black, brown, everything in between. Our community, though, in particular, black and brown communities, this is now a strategy. The idea is to make sure that your child is the best ball player or the best entertainer. So this way they can escape their poverty and bring you along with them. And although that's a it's a noble idea, it's a noble concept. But ultimately, as a strategy, as a strategy of a culture of people, it's a terrible premise. Because when we look at the results of this over the last few you know, decades, we can clearly see that very few people actually make it. Right? Whether we're talking about sports or entertainment, very, very few. One percent, less than that. And the overwhelming majority are left on the sidelines, battered and bruised and hoping to find some semblance of life because they haven't spent all of their formative years preparing for that. Instead, they've been trying to become the best ball thrower or ball kicker or singer or dancer that they could be. And as much fun as that might be in your youth, it doesn't always allow you and it doesn't always translate into job skills as you get older. And when these people tend to get older, when these communities get older, they tend to struggle financially. And when we look at the black and brown community, that's exactly what it is we see. We see communities that continue to push their children to be the next athlete, the next LeBron James, or the next whoever it is in the media entertainment space, right? We see that that happens all the time as opposed to, hey, let's start creating builders of society. The architects and the engineers and the doctors and the scientists and all these other individuals that can have a remarkable career and incredible life that they can then build upon that with their family when it's their turn, right? Creating generational change and dynamic. Instead of doing that, we keep pushing them towards sport and entertainment. And this is, again, not color bound because everyone wants the chance to live at the top of their life. Everyone wants the chance to be one of the rich and famous. Everyone wants the chance to have more than they have now. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we just have to be better at pursuing it and identify those individuals that are truly gifted, truly talented, and have the ability to ascend into those positions, feed them, flourish them, help them. And the rest, 
let's be honest about our conversation with our children. Let's let them know that this is for a lot of reasons, fun, entertainment, skill, ability, strength, camaraderie, workmanship, teamwork. But then let's remind them to take those lessons and move it into the other spaces where they're going to be beneficial in life. Because that's what the ghetto lottery is all about. Not giving this narrow path of growth for children, but opening up the pathway so they recognize there are plethora of spaces in which they can occupy and be totally successful in their life. Yeah. So I'm hearing you. So it's not just that culturally or societally or media focused, this is happening out there. It's then what the core unit, the core family unit does with that child's perception of that, that really is going to shift things. For sure. You know, I think, you know, media will, media does what media does. It feeds itself, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's always going to feed us misinformation, disinformation, sometimes just straight up propaganda, but that's because it serves itself. It serves its need to get people to show up and listen again. So you can't really fault that, you know, that machine because it's working exactly as it's supposed to. Yeah. (laughs) It's when we start to look back at us, right? Like we have the choice to make things different and that's what we must do. We must make better choices. And, you know, when we talk about the ghetto lottery, culturally, you can see it. But again, that's that's a matter of finance because affluent communities and I've coached and mentored and trained young people in impoverished communities and very affluent communities. And I see the dynamic that it's totally different when wealthy parents bring their children to play sport. It's something of leisure. It's something for fun. Mm -hmm. It's something to learn. But then don't forget, there are bigger and brighter things that you are destined to do and become. And that's how they approach that. Whereas impoverished families will come to the same sporting field and they will put so much pressure on the child to be the absolute best because that's going to be their ticket out. And not just their ticket, but mine too. And that's the lottery aspect of this thing. We use our children hoping to win a ghetto lottery. And that's where we fail them long term. It doesn't show up in their youth. It shows up as they continue to grow older. They just never learn those skill sets. They didn't learn hard and soft skills that are going to allow them to be a better professional as they get older. That's where we need to start spending more of our time with our children. So as you um, look across the landscape of the year that we're in, which as we record, this Mm -hmm. is 2021. What do you think are the opportunities here for each of us who have children still under our roof? Yeah. So that's like, that's the best part, you know, and I, and I loved it. Not for nothing. Having the kids home. I always loved that moment in time, right? Cause we do so much together as a family. They graduated, they graduated, went off to college. COVID brought them right back home. Right. <laughs> and, and, now they, and now they're here again. It looks like the world is opening up. So they're getting ready to step back out. But for those of us who still have children at home, one cherish it. Like my goodness, that time goes by so fast. Just so fast. That was why I became an entrepreneur, by the way, because I recognized I never wanted to miss a, a moment in their life ever. I didn't want to miss a game, a book report, uh, anything at all, right? Like I didn't want to miss anything ever. And that's why I jumped into entrepreneurship because I wanted to make sure I was there for my, for my wife, for my children, just for us and never, never miss a moment because once it's gone, it's gone forever and it goes by so fast. So first things first, cherish that your children are still home with you. And then let's start opening up the conversation and let's have the difficult conversations. This is where we have to be graceful and forgiving with ourselves. 
We have to know that we are going to stumble and fumble having these conversations. We are going to say the wrong thing. It's going to come out clumsy and horribly sometimes, and that's okay. We are not trying to vilify you and hang you on every piece of language you use. We are trying to have a larger conversation. So that's the first space of opportunity, right? The conversation that we could have with our children and grow with them. Because it's not just our children who need to grow. We do as well, right? We're stuck with a lot of limiting beliefs that continue to hold the current dynamics in place. So that's the first place of opportunity. The second place now, social activism. You move into that space and you start to see amazing things going on in countries across the world, but in our young people to our older people. We start to see everyone coming out, engaging the conversation, protesting together, advocating and lobbying elected officials. And that's one of the spaces that I, I thrive in, right? That advocacy space, that political realm, legislation, writing bills, getting them passed. That's the opportunity here. We get to rewrite and redesign the world we live in. We get to undo the legacy of the wrongs that continue to exist. Like there are so many things that are on the books today that continue to exist that are remnants of our Jim Crow history, that are remnants of our slave history, that are remnants of the bias and bigotry of things that used to be. And that's fine. That's our history. It is what it is. We can change that now. So let's do that. And we don't have to vilify ourselves in the process, right? Like I'm not a big fan of cancel culture, but we don't have to necessarily do that. We can acknowledge that something was done improperly. We can then start to design the better model and move forward. And that's where the opportunities are, moving forward. Oftentimes we get stuck in the conversation of what happened and what used to be. And that's fine because you always have to remember your history. Otherwise you are destined to repeat it, but you don't have to stay there. You can identify it, identify the things that we want to change things that we want to continue to use and redefine the world for ourselves today. I think that right there is probably where we suffer as a people. And I mean, all people across this country, we continue to define ourselves by the definitions of others. And in that space is where we do the greatest disservice to ourselves because we are no longer true to our authentic self. We are falling in line and acting accordingly, according to what someone else says we should do, says we should look like, says we should, you know, think, feel, and act. Think about that dynamic, right? Defining yourself by the definition of others. Think about that dynamic as a woman and how the world puts definitions on you and at, wants you to act and behave accordingly as you enter and engage the world. That doesn't serve you. That serves a few of them, but it doesn't serve you. And the same is true for us. When we stop defining ourselves by the dividing lines of politics or the separating lines of religion, when we stop defining ourselves by those things, we finally open the opportunity to engage with each other openly and honestly and heartfelt. And in that space, there are no limits to what it is we can do. And that is when we are our happiest and our best selves. Mm. Well, we're just going to end it right there. <laughs> so, Gary, your book, Unjustified, is out on all major booksellers. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And where else can people find you or 
connect with your work or connect with you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that so much because I oh, my team continues to tell me like, you know, Gary, if you don't give the answer about how people can stay in touch with you the next time on an interview, we're just we're going to be furious. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I always flub it. Right. I'm always like, oh, such a great conversation. Bye. And then I leave. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> you find me. You can certainly find me on Amazon. That's where you can find the book Unjustified. Where have our black leaders gone? Just so everybody knows. You would type my name in Gary O'Valley. It looks fancy, but it's just Gary, right? So I'm going to go ahead and spell it for you. G-A-H-R-E-Y, last name O-V-A-L-L-E. So you can find me, obviously, in Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, at Gary O'Valley. You can find me in those spaces. And my website also, GaryOvalley.com. Those are probably the best places. Perfect. Perfect. Well, any last words of wisdom you want to leave with someone listening right now? Yeah, I really do appreciate that specifically. And I think what I would like to share is that we have such an opportunity in this moment to make the world better, not just for ourselves, but for others. And it's in that space where we can create the greatest change. And I think we all are in a space where we recognize the civil unrest that we've been watching, the bias and bigotry that represents itself on television and the separation politics that we continue to see on our TVs and and in our media. We have to do much better and hold ourselves accountable so that we don't propagate those things in our life. We want to make sure that we are standing up for that which is right. And we are not supporting those things that do not support us. And in that space, we can start to change the dynamic and change the narrative and create the narrative that leads us to our best and brightest position, to create our strongest leaders and to live the happiest life that we all deserve. So I would challenge each and every one of you to step into that place. Don't be afraid of making the mistake. Be kind, be gracious to yourself and recognize that we are on the precipice of such great dynamic change in this country. And we should take the moment to one, honor it and observe it. And then two, get right in and start supporting it and building it. And that's where we're going to start converging and changing the dynamic and changing the conversation to better suit ourselves. There is so much hope in there. So thank you for that, Gary. For sure. Thank you, Patty. Well, thank you for being here. And everyone, check out Gary's book. Check out him on social media. And always, when you get his book, please leave him an Amazon review. It definitely helps authors move their work out into the world in a way. And I'm sure Gary would appreciate that, right, Gary? Because all us authors love our reviews. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was just talking to Azul and he, he he gave me a friendly reminder that, hey, you need to start pushing your reviews. Let's get those things up and out there. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> he didn't even ask me to do that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So thank awesome. you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, Gary. Patty, thank you so much. I absolutely had such a wonderful time today. Hey, thanks for listening. If you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this episode with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review at your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people and it fills my heart with so much joy 
when I hear what you have to say about what I've shared. I'm cheering for your success. Have an amazing day. And don't forget, always create space for magic. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.